Well, good morning, good morning, good morning. Hey, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11. Uh, today, by God's Spirit working among us, I hope to give us some guidance from a humble, biblical, and pastoral perspective. Uh, I do not consider myself a scholar, nor a historian, nor really formally educated in many of these subjects. I do consider myself a synthesizing curator of biblical theology mixed with a cultural interpreting practitioner. <laughs> Meaning, my breadth of knowledge is not necessarily first-hand research, but rather synthesizing and summarizing after kind of confirming the breadth of others' knowledge on theological matters. I've observed culture, and I do my best to interpret how to apply God's word as a practitioner of the way of Jesus. I don't consider myself a scholar. I don't proclaim to be an expert, although I do have some helpful experiences. I pray that today you will not feel overwhelmed, but rather hopeful. I have much to share, and today will feel and sound perhaps a little bit more like a lecture and instructional time than a typical sermon where I would exegete a passage. The Bible has much to say on the subject and on the current conflict raging in Israel. After all, it's been 4,000 years in the making, and it will not cease until the day that Jesus returns. I am not a dispensationalist, nor exclusively covenantal in my theology. I do not hold to an explicitly literal interpretation of the book of Revelation as it's a divinely inspired apocalyptic literature as its primary allegorical. I believe we are in the last days of Jesus. And he will return to judge the living and the dead. It is quite unlikely that I will answer every question that you have Today, in this room, we have people who have studied the Bible for years in various theological traditions. We have people listening and watching today who have never read the Bible entirely and perhaps are just beginning to explore what it has to say. Today, some of you are listening with a humanitarian sympathy as your highest guide. Some others are listening with a biblical worldview, and some are not. Rather, you are listening with a humanistic and political worldview. Some of you are filled with quote-unquote revelations that the algorithm of TikTok and YouTube recommendations has put in front of you. Some of you are purely skeptical, suspicious of anything that you would hear in public forums outside of your special non-mainstream sources. While I have been known to knock over sacred cows and shake up religious attitudes... Those are not my goals today. Rather, I want to help us understand the context, the conflict, and the covenants of Scripture so that we can find comfort as we cling to Jesus Christ. I am quite sober-minded about today's message. Deeply sensitive and aware of the anguish that many of us feel towards the war that is raging. There are Jesus-worshiping people scattered all over the Middle East. 
I'm grateful for the leading of the Holy Spirit and the providence of God. Uh, in that many pastors uh, like myself plan out our teaching series, our collections, the books of the Bible that we study almost a year in advance. I knew long before October 7th, 2023, that we would be in this part of the book of Acts, discussing the division between Jews and Gentiles. So with that in mind, let's begin studying Acts chapter 11 together. Acts chapter 11, starting in verse 1, says this, Soon the news reached the apostles and other believers in Judea that the Gentiles had received the word of God. But when Peter arrived back in Jerusalem, the Jewish believers criticized him. You entered the home of Gentiles and even ate with them, they said. But Peter told them exactly what had happened. I was in the town of Joppa, he said, and while I was praying, I went into this trance and I saw vision. Something like a large sheet was let down by its four corners from the sky, and it came right down to me. When I looked inside the sheet, I saw all sorts of tame and wild animals, reptiles and birds, and I heard a voice of say, get up, Peter, kill and eat them. No, Lord, I replied, I've never eaten anything that our Jewish laws have declared impure or unclean. But the voice from heaven spoke again, do not call something unclean if God made it clean. This happened three times before the sheet and all it contained was pulled back up to heaven. Just then, three men who had been sent from Caesarea arrived at the house where we were staying. The Holy Spirit told me to go with them and not to worry that they were Gentiles. These six brothers have accompanied me, and we soon entered the home of the man who had sent for us. He told us how an angel had appeared to him at his home and told him, send messengers to Joppa and summon a man named Simon Peter. He will tell you, and everyone in your household that can be saved. As I began to speak, Peter continued, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as he fell on us at the beginning. Then I thought of the Lord's words when he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And since God gave these Gentiles the same gift that he gave us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to stand in the way of God? When the others heard this, they stopped objecting and began praising God. They said, we can see that God has given the Gentiles the privilege of repenting of their sins and receiving eternal life. Can we pray together? Jesus, would you help us like Peter in moments of conflict? to recall to our minds the comforting and instructive words of Jesus Christ today. In your name we pray, amen. Here in today's text, we find that Peter was in danger of being canceled for his ministry to the Gentiles. Now, the Jewish believers had forgotten the words of Jesus, but Peter was recalling the words of Jesus they started to criticize Peter, the text says. We would say that they started to cancel him. The word criticize in today's text is the Greek word diakrino, which means to separate thoroughly, to oppose, or to discriminate. When we discriminate, we begin to divide. When we divide, chaos and conflict only grow. 
confusion often brings a sense of distrust among others. Criticism often comes because people don't really understand what has happened, what is happening, or perhaps assume incorrectly what will happen. The believers in Judea were confused about Peter's actions that led to this brief breakdown of trust. See, when we are in a place of uncertainty, we easily can find ourselves confused. We can react with erroneous criticisms or conspiracies. Both are humanistic approaches. We cannot allow a lack of clarity on a subject to lead us to divisive criticism nor deceptive conspiracies. Division and deceptions are the calling card of the demonic activity from hell. Confusion is the seedbed of every evil work, according to James 3.16. It leads to division and deception as it grows, which leads to stealing our sanity, destroying relationships, and killing lives. Steal, kill, destroy. We must come back to the words of Jesus to find truth, clarity, agreement, and realignment. Peter recalled that even these Gentile people, because what Jesus accomplished on the cross and his outpouring of the Spirit on the day of Pentecost, that these people can be reconciled to Yahweh. They too repent to the Father, can be reconciled through Christ the Son, and receive the promise of the Holy Spirit. Wherever there is distrust, the divide between people grows. This is helpful to understand the context for some of today's current events and in understanding today's scriptural text. Let me give you a little context for the Jew and Gentile divide that we see listed in scripture. A Gentile was a non-Jewish pagan worshiping person. The Jews were the only ones who worshiped Yahweh, God Almighty. They were chosen by God to be the people through whom he would reveal to humanity his character, love, redemption, and the kingdom of God. All other nations, ethnic groups, worshipped other gods. So in order to keep the covenant with Yahweh, they did everything they could to stay away and keep themselves clean from the unclean spiritual lives of the Gentiles. They were the enemy of God. Yet Jesus came to reconcile all of us to the Father in heaven. At its core, the conflict in Acts and at present day are not ethnic nor political alone, but spiritual and cosmic. They are ripple effects of the rebellion of heaven led by Satan that carried over to the rebellion of humanity on earth. Paul alludes to this reality in Ephesians 6 when he says the battle that we face are animated by dark spiritual forces of wickedness that are trying to rule regions and territories. We have seen that already in our study of the book of Acts, looking at the spiritual lives of the Samaritans who worshipped false gods and that led them to a manifestation of dark, oppressive evil in their lives. In Genesis 11, after the flood, we see a disbursement of the nations. Every nation and ethnic group uh, on earth would come to worship a spiritual deity of some kind. The spiritual battle lines were beginning to be drawn. God Almighty began to draw these lines, dividing up the various nations and peoples, selecting Israel as his own. 
It was as if God was saying to Satan and all the evil of the world, you can, you can take, you think you can make the world flourish on your terms in your way apart from my will and plan? Go for it. I'll take Israel. You, you other spiritual Elohim, you take the other 70 nations and bring it. I'll bring redemption, reconciliation through them and defeating you one day, just you watch. Moses in a prophetic moment put to lyrical music and song zooms out and God gives Moses a glimpse into the sequence and the future cycles of this cosmic conflict that would be to come. We find it in Deuteronomy chapter 32. Take a listen to these first 12 verses. Listen, O heavens, and I will speak. Hear, O earth, the words that I say. Let my teaching fall on you like rain. Let my speech settle like dew. Let my words fall like rain on tender grass, like gentle showers on young plants. I will proclaim the name of the Lord. How glorious is our God. He is the rock. His deeds are perfect. Everything he does is just and fair. He is, he is a faithful God who does no wrong. How just and upright he is. But they have acted corruptly toward him. When they act so perversely, are they really his children? They are deceitful and twisted generation. Is this the way you repay the Lord, you foolish and senseless people? Isn't he your father who created you? Has he not made you and established you? What a song. Can you imagine singing the song in a corporate setting? Remember the days of long ago. Think about the generations past. Ask your fathers and they will inform you. Inquire of your elders and they will tell you. When the Most High assigned the lands to the nations, when he divided up the human race, he established the boundaries of the peoples according to the number of his heavenly court, the Elohim. For the people of Israel belong to the Lord. God, uh, Jacob, is his special possession. He found them in a desert land in an empty, howling wasteland. He surrounded them and watched over them. He guarded them as he would guard his very own eyes. Like an eagle that rouses her chicks and hovers over her young. He, so he spreads his wings to take them up and carry them safely on his pinions. The Lord alone guided them and they followed no foreign gods. The heart, character, and story of God's saving redemption have always been on display through Israel and ethnic people. If you keep reading this chapter, you will see how time and again Israel rebels and pursues false gods, yet God is patiently waiting for them to repent, and he welcomes them back when they do, much like he does with you and with me. Why did God choose Israel, though? Well, in the simplest terms, because he's God. <laughs> God had a mess on his hands because of Satan and sin decreating his good creation. So after the flood and after the scattering of these nations at the Tower of Babel, God looked patiently for a man who would trust in him. So Yahweh chose one man to start a new tribe built on faith in his name. God made a covenant with Abraham and all of his descendants. In Genesis 12, 13, 15, and 17, we find of this, some of the specific promises that God gave to Abraham in a covenant. 
The number one, it says, I will bless those who bless you and I will curse him who curses you. Number two, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Number three, to your descendants I have given this land. Number four, I will establish my covenant for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and your descendants after you. One theme we see throughout the Bible is that God has a good plan. Yet, man determines to reach for God's good plan on his own terms, and it distorts what God intended. This is what Satan does when he deceives humans, counterfeiting what God created. The method, this method of counterfeiting, this method of destruction and deceptive counterfeits is seen in the story of Abraham too. This occurs when Abraham, uh, as he desires to have a son of promise, he tries to achieve God's promise on his own terms. His wife Sarah was barren, so they decide to try for a child with Hagar, their servant. A son, Ishmael, is born. But that wasn't the son to fulfill the promise. Because God doesn't fulfill promises on your terms. He fulfills promises on his. Eventually, Isaac is born, and he is the son of promise. Ishmael was born from human efforts alone, brought division. His lineage is the Arab people who through Islam claim Allah as Lord described in the Quran and fighting to this day over the land. Isaac was born from acts of faith in God, promised the land, and his lineage was the nation of Israel who through their story revealed Jesus as Lord whom longs to reconcile all to Yahweh. It's a conflict that is centered on land, lineage, and who is the true Lord of all lords. This conflict of biblical proportions has a long history. We see here in 1700 BC, located within the biblical bounds of Canaan, Israel was settled by Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. King David established Jerusalem as its capital where King Solomon built the first temple. In 931 BC, Israel was divided into two nations, the kingdom of Israel to the north and the kingdom of Judah to the south. Ruled by Davidic kings with Jerusalem as its capital, Assyria, and then Babylon come in and conquer the northern and southern kingdoms, pushing the Israeli population out. 538 BC is the second temple period. And after 70 years of exile in Babylon, uh, Persia Cyrus the Great allowed the Jewish people to return to Israel. They resettled in the land without a king, rebuilding Jerusalem's temple and walls. During the Roman Empire, the land was given the name Palestine. It was done so as a mockery, though, to the Israeli people. Because in their language, there was no PH sound. And the Romans wanted to make fun of and put down the Jewish people. And they looked through the Hebrew scriptures and discovered that their number one enemy were the Philistines. And because there was no PH sound in their language, it became known and called Palestina. In 636 A.D., a series of Muslim conquests saw Islam spread the re- to the region. The Dome of the Rock, an Islamic shrine, was built in Jerusalem on top of the ruins of the Second Temple. 
In the 7th and 8th century, we find Muslim conquests where Muslims come in and raid and push out the Jews. In the 11th and 13th century AD, we see the Christian Holy Crusades wiping uh, and moving out Muslims and Jews alike. In the 14th uh, century through 1917 AD, you find the Ottoman Empire. Palestine uh, remained under Islamic control with Christians and Jews facing persecution. The Crusades to the Holy Land pushed more Jewish people out of Israel as Christians fought against Islamic control of Jerusalem. Then that leads you to post-World War I where Britain and France split up the land that that used to belong to the Ottoman Empire. Britain worked with the Arabs to push out the Ottoman Turks and then due to the eventual Balfour Declaration split the land up favoring the Jews in many ways. That only increased the tension between the two. Britain seemed to play both sides though. Like it or not, when you win a war, you get to divvy up the spoils of the land however you want. World War II and post-World War II, you find that during the Holocaust, many Jews wanted to flee to the land. Some British troops protected the immigrating Jews, but Jewish people also started forming their own military groups for protection. After World War II, you see the creation of the United Nations uh, and heightened tension between the Palestinian Arabs and Jews. Britain announced it would leave the region and left its guardianship up to the United Nations, where eventually the UN would propose a two-state solution. And the Jews accepted the proposal, but the Arab nations were not happy, and they rejected In 1948, you see the Arab-Israeli war where five surrounding Arab nations come and declare war on Israel. Israel won the war and seized a little bit more territory. In 1964, you see the establishment of the Palestinian Liberation Organization. It was formed and wants to reclaim so much of what used to be the British-Palestinian area and end the Jewish state altogether. In 1967, you see the Six-Day War, and tensions continued to remain high after the, this Arab war, and, and it continued on even though Israel each time was able to defend and hold to what God had given to them and Tensions only grew. In 1973, you see the Yom Kippur War, what is also known as the October War, where Egypt and Syria launched surprise attacks on Israel, trying to regain territory lost to Israel in the Six-Day War. Uh, The attacks took place, though, on the Jewish holiday of Yom Kippur and the Islamic holy month of Ramadan. Fighting lasted for nearly three weeks, with Israel claiming an overwhelming victory that seemed to be divine in nature. 1987 and 88, you begin to see Hamas, a Sunni Islamist political and militant organization, an offshoot of the Muslim Brotherhood, begin to be founded. And in 95, the United States designated Hamas as a terrorist organization. There have been many additional attempts at peace, with Israel being willing to compromise and surrender land and places but the extremist groups continue to oppose any such compromise. And now we find ourselves in 2023. Hamas leaders led Israel to believe they weren't seeking conflict, but took Israel by surprise with an attack on October 7th, a day after the 50-year anniversary of the Yom Kippur War, after months of increased tensions. Hamas issued a call to arms for Muslims everywhere to launch an attack, and that they did. I want to be clear. 
this is not a war between Jews and all Arabs. This recent attack is from a terrorist organization called Hamas. Hamas is an Arabic acronym which stands for Islamic Resistance Movement. It is spiritual and religious in its essence. They are not a political governing group. They are a violent group whose covenant charter documents state that their purpose is to eradicate the Jews from the earth. There is also a Hebrew word, Hamas, which means violent wickedness. You find this word Hamas used in Genesis chapter 6. When God looks down on the whole earth and says it is filled and populated with only wicked, violent evil, resulting in God sending the flood. So the question is, is God protecting Israel? I believe these attacks on Israel are evil and demonic in essence. It's demonic evil to use innocent humans as shields, use a hospital as your main hideout and not allow civilians to leave so that every counterattack you experience can be hailed as an attack on innocent lives. Every person who is dying that is not a follower of Jesus, regardless if they are Jews or Palestinian Arabs, is joining the population of hell. And Satan thinks he's winning. These attacks were 50 years in the making. Hamans lost their attacks during a holy day of rest. I side with Israel, the national ethnic people on this, and pray for the protection for the many innocent Palestinian Jewish people caught in this region. While I do not necessarily believe that the New Testament has anything clear to say about a political nation state, it does seem to acknowledge and prioritize a national uh, or an ethnic people a corporate congregation who are to be at the center of so many things in our world. However, as a national entity, anyone would have a right to defend their people. If this occurred in Brazil, Argentina, or Canada, the world would be reacting much differently, perhaps. Many people have been quick to protest and speak vile, evil, and indictments on the Jewish people for defending themselves. What I see as I look back on the history And on scripture, I see this. It never ends well for those who attack Israel and perpetuate evil toward them. Before Hamas, it was Hitler. Before Hitler, it was Herod. Before Herod, it was Haman. Before Haman, it was Pharaoh. Before Pharaoh, it was Satan himself. These current day conflicts are indeed woven into a biblical understanding of covenants. Part of the terms of the covenant God made was to protect Abraham's descendants from complete destruction. And sometimes that even meant God had to permit enemies to temporarily triumph over them, sending them into exile as an act of protection. After all, being exiled is better than becoming extinct. But evil will not win out in the end. I remember being corrected as a kid. The goal was not to cause me pain, but rather through the temporary pain to motivate me to change my behavior in the right ways. God corrects those that he loves. You can go back and reread Deuteronomy 32 this week. 
It's a robust prophetic telling of how things will go for Israel. The on and off again honor and relationship they had toward Yahweh. Listen to just a few of the excerpts of Deuteronomy 32. It says, but Israel soon became fat and unruly. They grew heavy, plump, and stuffed. Then they abandoned the God who had made them, and they made the light of the rock of their salvation, or they made light of the rock of their salvation. They stirred up his jealousy by worshiping foreign gods. They provoked his fury with detestable deeds that they did. Deuteronomy 32 and 36 says, Indeed, the Lord, though, will give justice to his people, and he will change his mind about his servants. Deuteronomy 32, 43, Rejoice with him, you heavens, and let all of God's angels worship him. Rejoice with his people, you Gentiles. Let all the angels be strengthened in him. He will avenge the blood of his children and he will take revenge against his enemy. He will repay those who hate him and cleanse his people's lands. Deuteronomy 32 at the end, verse 46 and 47, he adds this. Take to heart all the words and warnings I have given you today. Pass them on as commands to your children so they will obey every word of these instructions. These instructions are not empty words. They are your life, he says. By obeying them, you will enjoy a long life in this land and you will occupy, that you will occupy when you cross the Jordan River. The question then becomes, is the promise of Abraham valid today? Does the church replace Israel? Will all the Jews receive eternal life regardless if they repent or not? Romans 1 through 11 is an 11 chapter discourse that Paul begins to dismantle the cultural alignment that brought divisions between the Jews and the Gentiles. He explains that genetic ethnicity doesn't bring salvation, nor does it exclude you from receiving salvation. But Jesus is the doorway to eternal life. Trusting in your ethnicity, your nationality, to secure your eternity will fail every time. All through the Old Testament, it wasn't trusting in the law as the main point. It was trusting in Yahweh, who was the protector and the provider of those terms. The Old Testament covenants were to point and to paint a picture of the redemption and renewal that would come later. They were the roots that would produce the tree of life found in Jesus. He becomes the vine and we are all the branches. The priority of the great commission of Jesus was and is to go to the Jew first and then the Gentiles. God has no problem acting in a way contrary to our earthly limitations and concepts of fairness. Paul summarizes all of this in the latter part of Romans 1 through 11 and chapters 9 through 11. Let me read you a little bit of Romans 10 and 11, starting at verse 16. But not everyone has welcomed the good news. For Isaiah the prophet said, Lord, who has believed our message? So faith comes from hearing, that is, hearing the good news about Christ. Pause. That he is Lord and the Jewish Messiah fulfilling all. But I ask, verse 18 says, have the people of Israel actually even heard this message? Yes, they have. 
The message has gone through the earth and the words to all of the world. But I ask, did the people of Israel really understand it though? Yes, they did, Paul says. For even in the time of Moses, God said, I will rouse your jealousy through people who are not even a nation. I will provoke you through your, ang- your, your anger through the foolish Gentiles. Pause. Paul is quoting portions of Deuteronomy 32 right there. And later Israel, or Isaiah, spoke boldly for God, saying, I was found by people who were not looking for me. I showed myself to those who were not asking for me. But regarding Israel, God said, all day long I opened my arms to them, but they were disobedient and rebellious. Reminds me of the story of the prodigal son. Romans 11 one, uh, continues on saying this, I ask then, has God rejected his own people, the nation of Israel? Of course not. I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham and a member of the tribe of Benjamin. No, God has not rejected his own people whom he chose from the very beginning. Did God's people stumble and fall beyond recovery? Of course not. They were disobedient. So God made salvation available to the Gentiles. But he wanted his own people to become jealous and claim it for themselves. Now if the Gentiles were enriched because people of Israel turned down God's offer of salvation, I love this line, think how much greater a blessing the world will share in when the Jews finally accept it. Let me be clear. I do not believe in what is often termed replacement theology, where the church has replaced and displaced natural Israel entirely, voiding out the promises and privileges of being a Jew. I believe both historically and politically the Jewish people do have a legal basis to be in this land. I do tend to think scripture speaks about Jerusalem, Zion, and the third temple in a way that we should primarily understand them with spiritual implications. Everything of God's kingdom must be received by faith. Faith has outward physical embodiments. I believe the land of natural Israel is a living embodied illustration of God's provision, goodness, and eternal promise of new creation available to whosoever calls on the name of Jesus. I honor the history and ethnic people of Israel because they were the custodians of God's work until Jesus came. There is no political entity beyond scrutiny, though. God longs for Israel to to corporately return to Yahweh and acknowledge Jesus as Lord. There is a remnant in the land who are keeping to the way of Jesus. I believe God is faithful to them. God is always faithful to a remnant. There will be a great revival in the last days and many ethnic Jews will come to faith in Jesus as Messiah. According to the New Testament, specifically Jesus, spiritual Israel steps into a prominent purpose of God while the Jews still maintain some privileges with Yahweh. The body of Christ, spiritual Israel, is the forefront, but God has not Forgotten Israel. The church, the global people of all ethnicities who have placed their saving allegiance in Jesus Christ are those who have placed that in Christ. Those who have been grafted into the tree of Jesus and those who have grown from roots of Old Testament patriarchs and believe that Jesus is the Messiah. The global church 
is spiritual Israel, if you will. Ethnic Jews are natural Israel. Although many of those living in the land today who are ethnic Jews are not practicing Judaism, trying to honor Yahweh. In fact, roughly one in four are. That means three out of four are not. Friends, God has not forgotten about the Jews. Even though the church, spiritual Israel, comprised of both Jews and Gentiles who have their allegiance in Jesus, are at the forefront of God's plan to reveal Christ and reconcile the world to him. Through the story of Israel, God was revealing his character, which is just, merciful, holy, patient, loving, and righteous character. They are key features in biblical prophecy, no doubt. Biblical prophecy, though, is best understood as you look back to see how God was at work, not using it in an attempt to decode the mystery of tomorrow. Can I say that again? Biblical prophecy is best understood as you look back to see how God has worked, not using it in an attempt to decode the mystery of tomorrow. So the question is, pastor, is this the end times? Well, like Peter in today's text, how about we recall the words of Jesus? At the end of Matthew 23, Jesus is weeping over Jerusalem and the Jewish people because they had and many would continue to reject him as Messiah. He knew it would lead not to being completely rejected, but to experience the crucible of the consequences of moving out in their own rebellion. That still happens today too. Natural consequences of being rebellious and rejecting the ways of God. Right after that, Jesus begins to prophesy about wars, famines, earthquakes, and the coming devastation to the land specifically. Much of Matthew 24 was fulfilled when Rome conquered Jerusalem and destroyed the temple beginning in AD 70. But Jesus said those were just the first of the birth pains. But there was more to come. This week, in many of our Connect groups, you're going to read 2 Peter chapter 3, where Peter is reminding us that God's patience in his timing to send Jesus back in returning, that he is longing for people, the Jews and Gentiles alike, to return to him in repentance. Again, I believe great revival of repentance will indeed come. God doesn't reveal the timeline of future events with exact dates for those future events. In fact, he says, no one knows the day or the time. Most of the biblical prophetic things that we read are both anchored in a specific event and or allegorical in describing many such events. So much of the suffering in the time of tribulation described in Revelation and that uh, apocalyptic uh, uh, writing is cyclical. Some of the suffering has happened and it will continue to happen again in cycles of pain and repentance, pain and repentance, rejection and pain. It's a cycle. 
like birthing contractions that keep occurring until the baby is ready to be born. So what do we do now? Cling to the words of Jesus Christ. Jesus tells us in Matthew 16 to discern the signs of the times. Discerning the times is more important than interpreting the times. Discerning the times is more important than interpreting the times. Interpreting has to do with predictions and figuring out details. We try and decode and interpret things, which causes us to incorrectly respond to people. It creates chaos, division, confusion, and room for Satan to work. Is Obama the Antichrist? Saddam Hussein the Antichrist? Friends, God really just likes leaving things mysterious. (laughs) Discernment, though, is different. Discernment is when we, number one, distinguish between spirits that are motivating what we're seeing and determining then how to act. Jesus commands us to discern the times, not to interpret them. Discerning the times is distinguishing between spirits and determining then how to act. These are both elements of the Holy Spirit leading and guiding us. These are what the radiant people of God do, not interpret to figure out details to come, but rather we discern to distinguish between what spirit is this that's controlling and happening and pervading this, and what are we to do in response. This is the call to the people of God who are radiant. As we conclude, can I give you five charges, five things as your pastor, I want to charge you to do. Five. One, less interpretation, more intercession. Less interpretation, more intercession. Pray the Lord's Prayer. Lord, deliver us from the evil one. Pray Ephesians 1. Pray through the Psalms. Friends, the spirit of Antichrist is already present, leaving its beastly mark of greed, power, and lust in all who are not identified in Christ nor marked by the Holy Spirit. Cog and Magog are not single-armed nations but rather the whole of those peoples who will rise up against God's people. Just keep interceding for God to move, for his favor to be known, and people to return to Jesus. Less interpretation, more intercession. Number two, read scripture more than the headlines. Read scripture more intently than the latest headlines. Get a good Bible commentary to help you explain and understand what you're reading if you're not sure. 
Use things like BibleProject.com to understand some themes of the Bible. Use things like TheosU, which is like Netflix of theology to grow in your theological understanding of what the Bible teaches and what we as followers of Jesus need to believe. It's time to study, to show ourselves approved unto God and man. Workmen who do not need to be ashamed of what is true. Number three, guard your heart from skepticism and suspicion so it can stay soft towards God and others. In the last days, many hearts will grow hard towards God. Don't be among them. You want to protect your heart from growing hard? Resist skepticism and stop seeking things of suspicious nature. Trying to figure out secrets and secret societies and what's going on behind the scenes. It only creates a hard heart towards people whom God deeply longs for them to come into reconciled relationship with Him, regardless of their ethnicity. Number four, grow in godliness and generosity. It's time we become more godly than relevant. Grow in godliness and generosity. Gather regularly with God's people. Hebrews 10 is a warning to do this as we see the day approaching. Why? Because this is where we grow in unity and stir one another towards love and good deeds, where we hear God's word being preached and proclaimed, which becomes an anchor for our soul, where we can remind each other, cling to the words of Jesus. Micah 6.8 says, Oh, no, O people, the Lord has told you what is good, and this is what he requires of you, to do what is right, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. May these be the calling card of the radiant people of God in this last day. Stop trying to decode the times and seasons develop a relationship with the Holy Spirit and allow the scriptures to help you discern the times and seasons. Can I tell you what I'm discerning in this season? Jesus has already ascended on high. He poured out the eternal promise fulfilled on the day of Pentecost on Jew and Gentile alike. The church age and the reign of King Jesus has already begun. The gospel of Jesus as ruling king will be preached to the Jew first and then Gentile and it is the power of God to salvation of all mankind. We will experience suffering and pain. There will be wars and famines and plagues. Spiritual Israel, the church will grow and become more radiant and more hated by the world at the same time. Many will deceive and Satan is going to be let loose and the Antichrist will be embodied and rise and people will turn away from Yahweh and their hearts will grow hard. There will be many Jews who repent, becoming reconciled to Jesus the Messiah and then receive the mark of his Holy Spirit and Jesus will return. He will conquer evil forever and he will wipe away every tear and we will be with him forever. We will be with him forever. 
Jesus, come. So we pray, come, Lord Jesus, come. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Jesus, there's much that we don't know. But you, as our risen king, is someone whom we can fully know. Lord, where there is uneasiness in our hearts, would you help us to anchor to the words of Christ? Lord, where we've been spending more time trying to interpret and figure out some mystery, would you remind us to instead discern the times, to distinguish what spirit is causing the things that we're seeing and hearing, and then determine how we should act, O oh Lord. Jesus, would you protect those caught in the crossfires? Would you redeem those who call on your name, O oh Jesus? Would you cause your church and the remnant of those faithful in that land to rise up in love and grace and devotion and generosity and compassion, Lord, to those people? We pray, Lord, your kingdom come. Your will be done on our earth. Jesus, help us fix our eyes on you, the author and the finisher of our faith. And we say, come, Lord Jesus, come. We pray this in the name of the Father who loves us, the Son who died for us, and the Holy Spirit who lives in us. And all the people of God said. I really hope today's message was life-giving. As a church, we want to help you encounter God and take another next step in your allegiance to Jesus. I want to ask you to take a step right now, in fact. Would you just share this message with a friend? Maybe post it on your social, text a coworker the link. Just be sure to include something that you learned or how it impacted you personally. When you do that, you get to be a part of seeing faith come to life and someone else. And don't forget to visit our central hub, faithchurchks.org. You'll find other next steps that you can take in your faith, including giving and partnership with us as we help others encounter Jesus like you've encountered him. Hey, we love you. And until we get to hang out again, remember, don't shrink back from your faithful allegiance to King Jesus.